This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're freezing to death in the Arctic while doing what we have to do to survive as we watch spine number 33 in the Criterion Collection, Robert Flaherty's Nanook of the North from 1922. But first, RJ, what a perfectly goddamn cold day today to be doing this episode. Yeah, it's real cold. Do you know how cold it was last night? Uh, I heard minus 38 with wind chill. Minus 38, that is correct. Yeah. And that's, that's Celsius, boys. That's, that's yeah. not that fair. Actually, doesn't it? I think Fahrenheit's at minus colder. 30. Yeah. Yeah, at 32, doesn't it like even out? Pretty well. Some weird way or something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's pretty cold, man. I got me one of them colds even. Oh. So no. uh, the kids at home will uh, notice a, a twing in my voice or a sniffle in the, the stutter. I don't know. I'm all up, hopped up on them medicines, so I'm going to be a little, little hazy. Mm-hmm. I think, That's but maybe that'll new. make for grade eight. Yeah, it's. I'm just replacing alcohol with like designer drugs. Yeah, cold medicine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So fantastic. Um, other than so, yeah. you're you have, you have a cold. That's how you're doing. That's how I'm doing, man. Yeah, I got a cold. Not much else is shaking. What's new with you? Uh nothing really last week i took a week off from work so i got Mm -hmm. myself a two-week break and uh that was wonderful fantastic uh chanel commented that it's like wow you're in such a good mood when you don't have to go to work and i'm like yeah no no kidding (laughs) yeah did you manage to do anything uh meaningful in your time off Mm, depends on how you define meaningful if you mean like watching a whole bunch of movies uh yes yes i I don't Okay. Well, no. Okay. Like, oh, so, uh, well, I mean, I, I could talk about I got a Fitbit. Ooh, damn. I mm-hmm. got Andy one of those for Christmas. She mm-hmm. likes it. Yeah. There, it's a, I mean, I've been kind of been doing my own thing, just using my uh, iPod up to this point, uh, using yep. my, my Fitness Pal app to great yeah. success. And this was sort of another thing, just like, I don't know curious about my heart rates trying to step up my exercise game and uh i figure i might as well get one of those now finally after doing it just with the ipod for like a year and a bit so yeah i've been doing that trying out some new things uh stepping up my vegetable consumption Uh, oh you nerd i know (laughs) yeah you're all about those stats you should just do what i do uh you should just purge after eating (laughs) you mean like uh expel into a toilet yeah Okay. Yeah, it works pretty good. Like Behind two, three years ago, anywhere, anywhere that you can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, like two, three years ago, I had like the worst flu I've ever had in my life, and uh, I was puking so much. Like after three, four days, I couldn't even like hold down Gatorade, and I swear to God, I puked so much my my like abdomen in like closed in on itself, and I swear to God, for six minutes, I had like a six pack. <laughs> That's how hard, like... Reverse six-pack? Yeah, like, that's how hard it was working for those, like, four or five days that, like, at one point, there was, like, this this inertia, and it just kind of closed in on itself, and I was, like, looking good, man. <laughs> so, just do just do that. You don't need all those fancy gadgets. Mm. Yeah. Just, just I'll, purge. I'll, I'll take it under advisement. Vomit more. Yeah. You can trust me. I'm a scientist. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, RJ... Yeah. We've Yo. got some reader email. Oh shit. Lay yes. on me. We actually got two pieces of email, all from one man, Mr. Oliver Granger. 
Fuck. Uh, He's staying consistent. He is. Yeah, we uh, we actually missed his email last week because we went ahead and did the show. Forgot to check the, mm-hmm. the Criterion Creeps at gmail.com email. But you, you he, say we, but mm-hmm. uh, you, you take sole blame for that. I have no uh, involvement in how the show is run. Ah, some behind the scenes. Yeah. R- RJ does nothing. <laughs> I show up. You watch the movie uh, with, the a, a day, like within sometimes an hour of recording. Yeah, but I, I always show up. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's and that and that's half the battle. That's half the battle. All right, sorry. Mm. What so, is, what does Oliver have to say? So our loyal listener Oliver, uh, he supplied mm-hmm. us with his top five films watched in 2016, as we oh, asked shit. for two shows ago. Any uh, overlap? Uh, no, no, no overlap at all. Sweet. But I will all read right. through those uh, with his uh, brief little comments about him. Number five Sweet. for him was Strangers on a Train, directed by Alfred Hitchcock from 1951. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls it a classic Hitchcock mystery. I will agree with this. Uh, Strangers on a Train is ace. Uh, it's actually weird right now. I've got um, uh, my friend Corey. He's going through the Hitchcock movies in chronological order. Um, mm-hmm. And a few other people on Letterboxd seem to all be kind of uh, galvanizing toward that Hitchcock stuff. Um, sure. Yeah, they're all watching it. I just saw, yeah, people are watching that Strangers on a Trick and loving it. Mm. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched it, but uh, it's a it's a gooder. I watched it last year. It's really good. Yeah. Did you know uh, Big Ben Affleck and uh, David Fincher are uh, trying to do a remake of that? Hmm. I wonder if it's more close to the book or uh, the, book? The, the not the book, the screenplay. It's uh, it's the woman that wrote like Ripley's Game and stuff like that. Uh, she's really Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, no. <laughs> No uh, man, I can't believe I'm blanking out on her name. Uh, not to Jane look it Fonda? up. Patricia Highsmith. Oh yeah, yeah. I have that book right here. I didn't realize you said that. I could have just looked right at my shelf. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, she yeah, so she wrote Train Strangers on a Train. The that was her first novel, actually. Cool. Um yeah, no, uh she's a great writer. Her stuff's like very super smart, uh succinct. And yeah, they mm-hmm. did and they did a good job making that movie the first time out with the the hitch. The Hitch. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. So I like uh, that. Yeah. Number four uh, is a film I'm not familiar with called A Dragon Arrives, uh, directed mm. by someone named Manny Hagi. Oh, uh, come on. They're Iranian uh, from 2016. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, Oliver says, Iranian cinema is where it's at. This movie is super cool. Um, mm. I have to look it up more. I think we actually do have an Iranian film coming up uh, this year, uh, Taste of Cherry. Um, which I've ah. never seen before, uh, but I, like, I haven't watched very few Iranian films. Um, mm-hmm. I watched The Separation last year. It was okay. Um, but yeah. What oh. about That Stranger Walks Home Alone? Is, oh, isn't the, that an the, Iranian the, joint? The, the, the fake Iranian films? The no. fake Iranian film? Yeah. Well, that's cool. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, number three, another one that I'm not familiar with called Syndromes and a Century. Uh hmm. I will butcher this person's name. Uh, I think it's Indonesian. It's like Apakopong Werasathakul. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to interject because I know how to pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Apakopong Werasathakul. Wow. Yes. Uh, R.J. Yeah. Balog bringing it. <laughs> I did it, man. 2006. Uh, uh, Oliver says, hard to explain. It's like a camera on a cloud floating through dreams and memories. Ooh, man, that sounds sexy. Mm-hmm. That's sexy cinema right there. Uh, number two, 
Uh, I have no problems with. Akiru, directed by Akira Kurosawa from 1951. Nice. Uh, from the words of Trey Parker, there is nothing more sadder than a sad Japanese man. Uh, I actually yep. watched Akiru for the first time last year as well. Like in, like It was like the end of January. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, they just watched the show uh, themselves, and they thought it was just like they were crying like for like the last half hour. Um, it's, yeah, really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it wasn't in my top five for some reason. Because I, I think about, you're I, a bad person. I think so. Uh, I don't know why, because I did watch it. Hmm. Forgot? I thought. Maybe. I think, like, maybe at the time, like, I think it was one of those movies where I was like, yeah, I like it as well. It's a good movie and all, but it wasn't, like, it's not, like, my, my it's an amazing movie for me. But it's one of those things that, like, I think about. Like, there's, like, it's got, like, uh, such a brute, like, a fantastic, well-observed ending. Right. Um, so, like, I, so like, there, like, I think about it a lot. So I think maybe, like, my estimation of it has just grown over time. But, yeah, Akira mm-hmm. is good. One day we'll get to it as well. Uh, and number one is... Uh-oh. Mirror, directed by one Andre Tarkovsky from 1975. Uh, Tarkovsky, huh? Yeah, and, uh, which is fitting. Um, and <clears throat> all of us to say about this, USSR existentialism at its finest. Um, hmm. I have not seen The Mirror yet. I own it on Blu-ray. Um, actually, I own most of Tarkovsky's stuff that's available on Blu-ray. And, uh, yeah, I will get around to watching it sooner than later. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Perhaps at the end of this episode. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, those are pretty solid picks, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. and so that was uh, Oliver's first email. His second email, he just wrote, was just listening to the Dickens episode. Two things. Jungle Book with Sabu is a beautiful movie, apart from some of the stuff they make real animals do. Oh, and okay. uh, and in the remake of King and in, in the remake Jungle Book, King Louis is a gigantophilithicus. They did oh, this no, because okay. so there's just... actually no orangutans in India, but there once was. Yeah, so like he in his song, he's like gigantolopithicus uh, or some yeah. gigantolopithicus or something like yeah. that. So all right, all right, all right. I, I can jive, I can jive with that. There you go. So yeah, because he... they only live in Indonesia, orangutans. Right. There so, all right. Well, hey, I asked and he delivered, man. Yeah, that's right. That's what we need listeners for to yeah. inform us as we entertain you because we are not informative. <laughs> right. Well, I was just, I was blown away because, like, I took an anthropology class, man. I know all those Lopithicuses and hominins and hominids and all of them jazzes, but I never saw anything as big as a house before. So, no. I was a little bit surprised. Mm hmm. <sighs> Well, thank you, Oliver. And li- listeners, we do appreciate that feedback and emails and stuff like that. It makes us feel mm-hmm. alive. Absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. feeling alive right now, baby. Mm-hmm. But you know what also makes us feel alive? That's creeping What's... on movies and talking about mm-hmm. those movies we've crept on week to week. So, RJ, what have you crept on? A whole hell, whole, a hell of a lot. Oh, man. That came out a little mumbled. <laughs> Oh, it's kicking in here, boys. Slow uh, down. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I watched a, a lot. I'm going to prioritize here. And yeah. I'll start with one that I'm hot off of watching this morning. And, it, and the only reason I even bring it up at all is because I know you have a vested interest in the franchise. So I watched the new Star Trek movie. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought it was pretty bland. I thought it was plain rice. Not 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 brown rice. Not uh, that wild rice. It was just plain white rice. Um, we put some sweet know, and sour man. on that, and it's pretty good. Does, it, it does this movie not good. have any sweet and sour? It does. It does. So I, I will preface. Uh, preface. 
I will say that I watched it at home on a little TV in my bedroom, so that's probably not the way this movie was meant to be watched. But whatever, who cares? <laughs> people, people uh, intake media or entertainment in all mediums. But uh, so, anyways, uh, a lot of it was pretty much the same stuff that was the first movie. I think they were like they tried to emulate or just basically mirror that as much as they could because the first one was a success and the second one wasn't. So they're like, let's just do what we did the first time. Uh, all the music cues and sound like scores, the same, a lot of like the plot is similar kind of like, it's not time travel in uh, what's Eric Bana, but I thought it was kind of similar. Um, but to be honest, like I just, I didn't really find myself caring at all in that movie like i remember i saw one comment a lot of people made was that it had like really good dialogue and stuff like that which i don't agree with at all it was really like uh it's like you know death gives life meaning it's like and you finding your purpose is the meaning for life like that kind of stuff and it's like all right like i get it but okay like what else are you going for here um the story was like i don't know you can you watch that one preview that simon Pegg said got it all wrong and you can basically figure out what the whole movie is like that's what it is um one thing i gotta say i really don't like i don't like character designs like the aliens in the star trek universe all it is is like everybody's like humanoid, humanoid yeah and all it is is they stretch the face back and they give it like ridges or like bone structures or stuff like that that's everyone every character and it's just it's so like tiresome after a yeah, while it's like can it's, you do like just have like a worm like, it doesn't even have to, like, do anything but, like, one big wiggly worm just in the corner. Like, just do something <laughs> different. Well, yeah, it's, like, it's kind of a weird throwback that they've kind of uh, put upon themselves. Uh, because, I mean, back in 1966, when they were doing, like, the original TV show, um, they didn't have a budget to, like, make, like, crazy-looking stuff. Like, you, you, right. so you, it was always just, like, gaseous forms because you could just, like, optically put that on to the screen. Um, or it was, like, humanoids with in costumes. And so yeah. it's like, okay, that's fine because they had no budget to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. But as, as we've progressed through time, uh, I mean, they haven't really changed that up too much. And when they do, it's, like, always, like pretty terrible like the cgi gorn they were using on that uh star trek enterprise yeah. that i've seen and i just it's just so bad it's like give me a man in a rubber suit and i'll be happy but um mm-hmm. and i don't know it's, it's, it's a weird star trek convention i think to have like the aliens are all just humanoids with like, as you say like stretch back faces and ridges and different colors but they're ultimately do they have two hands two feet and yeah, yeah. two eyes a nose yep. an ear in the right spot like yeah, yeah it just gets boring after a while and you're right i will say it does it does feel old like it feels like one of the i i'm not a big record i've seen a lot of that stuff but it does have kind of an old feeling it's really schlocky even like it feels kind of like that's what they were going for but at the same time i don't know 50 percent of the movie is cgi so well, yeah i don't know you doing cgi and schlock at the same time is i don't know i think it would take a lot to get that right but uh anyways what do you mean by schlock I'm not sure. It's just really like cheap and it was like corny and cheesy. Is that not what Sherlock is? Have I been doing? Uh, have I had that wrong forever? I don't know. I it's weird. I I have, I have no idea what the word means, but I, I've never. I'm not sure if I describe it as Star Trek as Sherlock, but I haven't seen this movie. Maybe it is like the definition well, of Sherlock. I'll put it like this: it's it seems cheap, corny, and cheesy. That's so whatever. Yeah. Take that as it is. But Campy? anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's campy. Yeah, huh. that too. 
Well, um, yeah, that's, I guess, a throwback to the old 60s stuff. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I'm sure some people really like this movie, but me being sick in bed, I was just like, fuck this movie. Man. And uh, Idris Elba and his clan of, like, bad guys is really weird. They're all, like, out of breath all the time. <laughs> and I, I think it's, like, I don't think it's, like, it was a character decision. I think it's just because they have so much prosthetics on. They yeah. just, like, can't breathe. So they're like, <gasps> and they're, like, all wrinkly with their bones and stuff. I was like, oh, God. It's like, why are they so tired? And then uh, one, just one more thing for the, the characters in the bone ridges. There was one thing that I was like, fuck off. There was a character who was, like, stretch face and then had, like, a weave on the back of her head. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, alien face hugger bones. And they opened up. Uh, and I was just like, oh man, I was like, fuck off. Yeah, that's like also because like like bad design work. I mean, I I see. It's, it was alien face huggers, like exactly. We we have a new media department in our building, and uh, I mean, all the people that work in there, like who do their art and stuff like that, they all just want to make stuff like that. That's all they want to do, and it's like the worst like c-rate video game design level it, like nobody right. wants to go beyond that they just think of it like well things should need to look like this because that's how you make an action figure and that's kind of how they everything gets designed because they're, they're the same people that are doing it over and over and over again and that's the people who get these jobs and they mm-hmm. come up with pretty shitty looking stuff that looks blah that's like unmemorable yeah. you'll never think about any of those things ever again yeah. um yeah so anyways it's not it was fine it's not bad it's better than the second one i just I, I thought I'd tell you about it because I know you are uh, one of those nerd Trek I, nerds. I, well, uh, some or it some, used to be some, some Trek. I, lo- I I I I, lo- I like my Trek, but uh, I'm not a fan of the Abrams stuff overall. I think, as I've you said like- before, I think uh, I like my Star Trek like middle aged and paunchy. Yeah, um, exactly. the, the young sexy people don't fly. Yeah, exactly. But except so, in the box office, they do because the movies all make actual mm-hmm. money. Unlike the old, like the Star Trek movies, made a small amount of money, but they didn't play internationally. But now that they're like fun, jaunty action movies with young, attractive people, they do really well mm-hmm. overseas, which was a market Star Trek never appealed to before, and now it does. So, congrats, JJ. You did it, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's that. Okay. Now to the real action. You know what I fucking want to watch this week, man. You watch Bloodfather Blood with yeah. my main man Mel Gibson. Holy fuck! Now that's a movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you know about Bloodfather at all? You want me to lay it down for you, lay baby? Lay it out for me, because I don't really know anything about it. All right. So the triumphant return of the fallen son, Mel Gibson, again. back again. Yeah. Uh, see, so he is a worn out uh, old man, ex-con John Link, the missing Link. Some call him uh, John Link. He lives in a trailer park. He's an AA. And he gives tattoos out of his trailer. He's got a sweet-ass Mel Gibson beard. And he smokes and he eats ramen noodles. And he's just trying to live. And then uh, one day, his estranged daughter that he hasn't seen because he's been in jail for the last nine years, uh, she kind of shows up and she's all whacked out on the drugs. And she's like, I need help. And he's like, all right, I'm going to help you. Because he's like, I feel bad. I wasn't there for you. And so he tries to help her. But she's got in deep with some... some, uh, uh, Sicario Mexican drug lords and uh, he's just they're on the run he gets his hog out he hog up and uh, he's just trying to protect her uh, so this movie is fucking awesome uh, and I'm not just saying that because I like Mel Gibson uh, he was really good he was toned down like he like uh, there's a I think there's two levels of Mel Gibson there's like super serious Mel and then there's like lethal weapon Mel he's like somewhere in the middle like he's not cracking jokes but he's still like 
cracking wise. Cracking wise, but he's still pretty charming. Um, and he's just badass, man. He looks so cool in this fucking movie. I loved it. I loved it, man. I can't. It's, I watched it like a full week ago, so I don't remember. Like there were certain things I thought were awesome, but uh, I uh, I put I put a few pictures out on the Instagram. People mm-hmm. can uh, scope it there. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last thing I'll say is in terms of like the old man vengeance movies, like the Liam Neesons and the Sean yeah. Penn movies. This one I think is probably at the top yeah. for me because I am biased towards it. But it it's definitely better than a lot of those other ones that come out. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoy this like weird uh, uh, like Charles Bronson age that we live in with like yeah. now that like all, all our uh, actors are now old like Charles Bronson was when he was kind of in his like prime um, mm-hmm. or look old anyway. Uh, yeah, and they just do actioneers and genre stuff and they no one gives a shit because there's uh, people like that, those type of movies. Yep. Surprisingly. Yeah. So anyways, this is a solid recommend, solid movie, solid muscles, solid Mel. Uh, I'll be passing it your way. So you watch it. I think okay. you would dig it. Okay. Like just an old beaten down old man. And it's, it's just like his real struggle, man. He's, he's trying to get back in here. How does it compare to edge of darkness? Uh, it's probably better than Edge of Darkness, okay. but uh, I did like I did like Edge of Darkness quite a yeah. bit when I saw it. Um, Edge of Darkness is really long though for some reason. Um, it's like 10, 20 minutes longer than it should be because there's those like Ray, not Ray Weiss. What's his face? Uh, or is it Ray Weiss? Oh, oh, Ray Winstone. Ray, not Ray Winstone. He's he's gonna be in the new Wonder Woman movie, and he he's like the bad guy in Edge of Darkness. He's like uh. What is it? Uh, so he's like the bad guy who runs like the evil corporation. Um, I can't remember either. What the fuck is his yeah, name? Yeah, it's, it's Ray Winstone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, not not the English one though, right? Well, he's like the... Oh, no, wait. I was way off. I was way off. It's Danny Houston. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Danny Houston. Yeah, Danny Houston, the bad guy. Not Ray Winstone. But he isn't too. He just plays British, man. Yeah, because Ray Wise is uh, Leland Palmer. <laughs> yeah. That's where I got mixed up because yeah. Ray Wise looks like Danny Houston a little bit. They have the same hairline. Yeah, they, yeah, they have uh, big hair. Tall hair. Tall hair. Like nice quaffed hair or yes. whatever. Yeah. But uh, no, I liked Edge of Darkness too. But uh, yeah, Blood Feather is definitely better. It's it's no bullshit, Jarrett. It's like 88 minutes. It's just straight fucking Mel riding on a hog into the sunset. <laughs> okay. So it's uh, and then you got like Michael Parks is in there and fucking uh, William H Macy for some reason. So that's neat. Cool. Yeah. So Blood Father, the best. <laughs> best father, uh, more like. Best father, you got that right, baby. And then uh, I'll just finish off with a, a group of movies. The main event. I finally finished reading it. Jarrett. Yeah. It took me uh, a very long time. <laughs> yep. But uh, as people may remember, I was I was a little busy doing some stuff in the fall there. So I really got detracted from my uh, my reading. But over the Christmas break, pounded through it. It's probably the biggest book I've ever read. It's like, I don't know, 9,000 pages or some shit like that. Thereabouts. It's, it's fucking enormous. Like, I think it's... The copy I have, I think it's like 1,300 pages or something like that, which I'm a slow reader. So so I read the book, and then I followed that up immediately by watching the 90s miniseries with mm-hmm. Mr. Tim Curry. And uh, so I watched these, and I thought I had some like really insightful comments that are really insightful things I had collected for it. But now I'm on all this me- uh, cold medicine, so I feel like I'm going to miss it. 
Anyways, the book is very good. I think I remember you said once you, you heard it was like, if you were, could only read one, that would be it because it's the best of Stephen King. And the, and worst. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely the best. Like the story is amazing. The concept is great. Like uh, it's all about just like the embodiment of fear and kids and growing up and like becoming an adult and losing your childhood and stuff like that. Like common Stephen King things, but he really fucking nails it in this one. And then there's some bad stuff too. He really gets, he, I find sometimes he gets lost in his own writing. So like there's a few chapters where he covers like the history of it where it's like, cause this thing's been around forever. So like they go to like 1904 and he, he's reading an excerpt from like some guy talking about it and it goes on forever, forever and ever. And you're reading it and you're like, come on, man. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> and even like right at the end when you like, because the kids' story and the adults' story takes place at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And you, like, relive the kids through flashbacks, so it's kind of the same. And then, like, when you're near, right at the end and you're getting to, the like, the climax where the kids and the adults are, like, confronting uh, it in its lair, then he, like, cuts to dairy history. He's like, in dairy, <laughs> there is an old steel mill, and it was the best steel mill you ever saw. And then there was a, a guy down the street named John. Yep. And, like, that stuff, I was like, you motherfucker Stephen King. I was like, just get on with it. But anyways, so it had a lot of that stuff in there. Uh, but it was great. It's in my top five for sure. Of, of my, Stephen King? Yeah, I think I'd probably put, like, 1122... And on writing above it, it might be number three. Hmm. I'd have to re- I'd have to look back three or four okay. for sure. It's it's really good. Um, so, anyways, Stephen King's It. I've never seen or uh, the '90s one with Tim Curry. I never saw it. The cover always scared me. Mm-hmm. As I talk on the Ghoul Schools, I had a uh, predisposition to be afraid of clowns because my uh, my mom forced that upon me when I was little. So the cover always scared me, and I never watched it, and I regret it now knowing that because i think this shit would would have been my jam as a little kid uh it's awesome especially for like kids uh so the movie itself like watching it now i thought it was pretty good um i don't think it's great it's got it's definitely got some it's got some low points um but it's fucking three hours and the one thing i'll say about is they covered a lot more than i thought they would like they actually stuck to a lot of the story really well but then the stuff i didn't like is then they changed or they stick to most of it so well, and then they change certain aspects. And it's like, why did they change that when they do like, they do all this like menial shit that like doesn't really matter, but it's like character building stuff. But then like certain events with characters, they just switch the character or they like don't, or they change it completely. And it's like, I don't understand why they would, in one aspect, they follow it so closely. And then the other aspect, they just completely change it. So that was kind of the thing, like coming right off of the book. I think that was one of the reasons maybe I didn't like it as much as other people do because I was noticing all these differences and I was just like, that's just a weird decision why they would change it. So uh, Yeah, I mean, that's like, I mean, for a really long know. time, like adaptations, adaptations is such a weird thing. Um, and like, I mean, we've been talking about these like movies that we've been talking about on these shows, like in adaptations <laughs> and like decision making and whatnot. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, because I mean, well, when you're making a TV movie too, that's like meant to be broadcast, you don't have to make decisions, and it's like a weird thing too. So they're making like a, a horror novel. It's like horror epic, and that's like how yeah. the, the stand got treated as well. Like, it's, it's just like post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. horror thing. It's like, well, here's your television show budget. Um, we're hope to recoup. Mm-hmm. We have to, we have to uh, recoup, recoup all our costs from advertising dollars, and we have to edit it up and serve it up this way. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always going to be a weirdly compromised thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So no. Yeah. It's weird because like there was stuff they like left in like uh, the female character Beverly. Like she marries like a like a wife beater, and like her dad was like like beat up her too. And you see that stuff. Right. And I was like, oh man, I didn't expect them to like show that. But then they cut out like other stuff that was like really um like the fat kid Ben gets an H carved into his chest. And they just cut that out. Like, they started doing it. I was like, all right, I guess maybe they couldn't show the violence. But uh, I don't know. It was, it was kind of weird. They, like, they changed things a little bit. Like, So, uh, are you, see, that sounds familiar. Like, and, like, so I, like, I remember starting reading the book, but I was, like, 12. Yeah. And trying to read, like, a 1,200-page yeah. book is just stupid to do when you're that age because you have no attention yeah. span. Um, and uh, I remember, like, the movie, it's, like, I think I've seen it in its entirety. But mm-hmm. it's, I'm so, like, loose on the details. Yeah. Um, so like you're saying that in the book, they actually describe the carving of the like H or whatever. He, he, he carves the, cause the bully's name is Henry Bowers yeah. and he actually gets the H carved into Ben Hanscom's stomach. He gets the H done and then he like gets free. And then in the movie one, he's just like, he has the knife on his stomach and he kicks out and gets free. And okay. like, that wasn't a, that's, that wasn't a big one that like I had a problem with. That was just the first thing that popped into my head. I was like, okay, I guess like maybe they couldn't show or couldn't suggest that they did stuff like that. But, um, there was other things I can't, I can't remember it right now. I wish I, uh, we had podcasted right after cause I could have detailed it explicitly but there were just certain things that like they changed and i was like i wonder why they changed that it's it's weird yeah but tim curry that was the shit though he was Mm -hmm. really good um i I I thought he was awesome yeah one thing i think about when i think of it is uh like the one one of the greaser kids getting pulled into the sewer tube and it's like his head and feet first like that Mm -hmm. to me was like like that was like horrific to me so you know what's crazy like that i thought that was awesome but that's one thing they changed in like in the book uh it appeared as a uh, Frankenstein like Frankenstein monster and it killed the boys right but so and like most of the other like times he popped up it was what it was in the book like when he comes as the mummy or uh the wolfman like shit like that so i don't know yeah. i guess they wanted to like allude to the uh, the dead white fact where like what the entity behind all of it so anyways um that that was the other like i know it's hard to do it in an adaptation but they don't really capture like the terror that the kids feel so like when they're adults because like when they when you finish the whole kid's story it's like oh they didn't really go through that much yeah so you, you it's like why would but like in the book you totally get it you're like yeah man that would fucking suck because each one of the kids has like an experience with it that would be the shit man if it was like an hbo series and like each episode it, like it or pennywise would pop up like one time for each of the kids and then all the rest of the episode was just them being kids or something like that mm. you get some good uh some good moments in there but yeah. i guess now we're just gonna get another to we're just gonna get another junkie movie another junkie movie i i hope it's okay but just the design for it just yeah uh, but a lot of that's like serving the internet crowd. 
like people online are idiots. They're like really into creepy clowns and uh, oh, there's guys dressed as clowns. And it's like, so they're, they're going to feed into that to just get marketing well, for it. But I mean, yeah. the movie could have like very little to do with it and could actually be very faithful to the books. I mean, yeah. we're, we're like long overdue for a good Stephen King adaptation. Exactly. Um, so who knows? Maybe the, the Renaissance is ready because we got the uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, Gerald's, Gerald's game, game coming up this year on mm-hmm. Netflix. So that, that could be good. Mm-hmm. Dark Tower. Uh, Dark Tower, whenever that actually materializes. Um, yeah. yeah. It got pushed to summer. It, they're going to make it a summer blockbuster. Right. I think. Yeah. I hope it's good, man. I uh, I, I like Idris Elba, but I'm, I'm not really stoked on McConaughey in there. Mm. I don't know. He's fine. I just, I feel like he's... He's made poor decisions lately, so <laughs> haven't we all? all? Haven't we all? Yeah. But anyways, man, it it's good stuff. And then uh, just to conclude, I followed that up with two other adaptations of Mr. Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, the recent uh, Cell and the not so recent Thinner mm. from 1996. And you know what's crazy, man? Yeah. These two movies go together because they're actually like not bad adaptations of what the book actually was like so thinner is the book like almost like ident to a t that's that's what the book was like exactly and sell like it's been a couple years i audiobook sell a couple years ago but it was like more or less the same and like people really hate on that movie um yeah (laughs) i thought like it's not it's nowhere near as bad as like Dreamcatcher or something like that like yeah. it, it's not it's not bad at all like i think the problem well, a lot of people have it is, is like I mean, incoherence in yeah. the story and the thing though like too like that didn't bother me that didn't really bother me because i read a lot of Stephen King <laughs> and some and sometimes he's really yeah. incoherent so it's like cuz so in cell it's like well why is this happening and it's just like just cuz it's so it's it's one of those things it's like just let it go it's like how did the story get here it just did just let it go yeah i think cell um, it really has a lot to do with, uh, like, well, first of all, the, the book came out so long ago between like, there was like that this movie took so long to actually come out. Um, yep. and I think that initial wave of like cell being available, I think people were paying money for it and people were like, were so mad. I think having to pay like actual money and they're like, that was yep. so terrible. It's got Samuel Jackson, John Cusack. Why is it so bad? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think, I mean, I wa- I didn't, when I watched it, it didn't cost me anything. Um, and I thought it was just like fine like it's not even fine mm-hmm. it was like nah it's not good uh the opening like 10 minutes were outstanding the airport scene i thought they were like yep. uh, one of my uh, favorite comics one of my favorite horror comics uh, ever is probably the first miniseries of crossed by garth oh, Ennis yeah. and jason burroughs like that comic is just like horrific um mm-hmm. uh in the way that like most horror comics fail to be and the opening of this movie was like very cross and i was like super stoked i was like yeah maybe if it keeps mm-hmm. up this pace this could be really good but then it doesn't and then john cusack's a graphic novel we're making his like terrible shitty comic looking thing and it's just yeah. them wandering around there's some good spots where like the zombies get hit with like waves and they all freeze in place and look up to the sky it's all like i mean i've seen this stuff between yeah. like in ponty pool and uh there's the one movie, mm-hmm. the, the signal like so it's like been well covered ground now of the idea of like radio transmission and like brain mind zombies and stuff yeah. like that so cell kind of got there late uh the ending's terrible <laughs> it's like it's, yep. so, it's like it's hideous like like the the CGI and it's so bad. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, it, it kind of just ends. And I don't know, I never read the book or anything. Um, from what I understand, yeah. it sounds like the book's like not even that well regarded, which I didn't realize. Um, but yeah, yeah, I didn't know. It's, it's like the book yeah. is just it's I've like seen, the movie. It's I've there. seen way worse Stephen King films. Like, oh yeah, some real 
shit, people. You need to you need to get out there and watch some real bad movies. You think this is worse? Because yeah, there was a period of time where like on my letterbox, like when I had it, it was like the the lowest rated film I'd watched all year. Like, yeah. and it stayed that way till I watched like uh, one of those Hellraiser movies, and then it got supplanted. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was like the worst, and I was like, really? Like it's got like a one point eight, and I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe my tastes are just like. It's totally out of whack, and like I just I don't know what bad movies are anymore. But to me, I was like, eh, I've seen bad. This is just like middle of the yeah. road bad horror movies. I mean, it's bad for horror. Like it's like middle of the road for horror stuff. But I mean, if you're not into mm-hmm. horror stuff, eh, probably don't watch Stephen King film adaptations because it's it's a rough ride. They're they're pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, it's a roller coaster, man. But uh, no, yeah, you're right. Like, there's definitely worse. People want to see worse. Go watch fucking Desperation by uh, Shit Garrett. <laughs> that is the fucking bottom of the barrel. Let me tell you. Well, uh, dream, Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher dream too. Dreamcatcher. Yeah, but you like, haven't watched Desperation. I have you? not. But I have seen. So, I have seen Children of the Corn, uh, which I think is just just awful. Like, I don't even yep. know why that movie's so bad. Like, it's I just boring. remember watching. It's just yeah. It's just endless and like it's every decision it made in that movie is bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, oh, it's been a really long time. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's the worst bag I got. I mean, but thinner. I wasn't a fan of. I think I, I disliked that movie okay. a lot more than you did. I think it was just a bit too goofy. So I'll, I'll get. I'll, I'll cover that now. So uh, the last thing for sell. I think you're totally right. If this movie came out when the book came out in like 2006, I think it would have been like more people would have been like in the middle and been like, it's all right. It's not that bad. And it probably but, would have uh, been a better movie overall because it would have had more money in it at that point but like years Mm -hmm. after the fact and then being dumped on video and demand you kind of should have known what to expect yeah Uh, yeah so yeah whatever so but uh thinner i actually liked thinner man um i thought it was funny uh so uh that one too i audiobooked that like a year or two ago and you know who read the audiobook for that man who uh fucking quarterback joe montana no um joe montana did (laughs) fat tony himself oh my uh, god so he reprised his role of, as a gangster boss, mm-hmm. and uh, he read the whole book. <clears throat> and so that one, man, the movie, that's like exactly what the book is. I think the only difference is um, there's a little bit more in the book, like obviously. And then uh, the ending, um, I think in the book, he just eats the pie himself. Right. Like after his wife and daughter. Um, and then in the movie, the doctor is there, and he's like, why don't you come in too, baby? So I think that's the only difference was the – the uh, appearance of the doctor but uh, uh, I don't know man I think thinner is funny I like the gypsy <laughs> stuff is really uh, like yeah. it's dumb that's, that's, it's I think dumb. that's why I don't like it, is the gypsy stuff is so yeah. like dumb. dumb like it's just I don't yeah. care I don't care about the, any of it happening um, like there's like it, I, yeah. yeah it's dumb but like when he goes up there and he's like thinner mm. and actually it, that was in my head a lot different than what it actually turned out to be because I'd never seen it but like I've heard so many other people just be like thinner so like i had a totally different like idea of how that played out but steve himself had a cameo in here for a while so that's fun but no i don't know man like you can do a lot worse than thinner i think (laughs) um you can do a lot worse it's not great by any means but if you're looking for like a really dumb like this would make a wicked like uh tales from the crypt episode or something yeah and this is just like a one hour uh, thing this line of acid bitch. Oh, it's acid bitch. Yeah. I'm Joe Montaigne. Yeah. And it's just. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then it's like, yeah, the, them with guns and in a barn. Oh, yeah. I am not a fan. Uh, but yeah, worse than that, though, is Graveyard Shift. That movie <laughs> is the pits. Yeah. Even uh, fucking Brad Dourif could save that one. No. 
and uh, riding the so, bullet, also by uh, our pal Shit Garris. Shit uh, Garris, oh, he's the worst man. Mm-hmm. He's such such an asshole. My rev- we'll t- we'll talk about that another day. Another I day. guess. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna d- keep on this Stephen King train, so okay, it'll come up again. All right. Fair Anyways, enough. so that was a long creep for me. But uh, what have you been into? Well, let me go back to my diary. Uh oh. Since I've been. Look, I was looking for my Stephen King list. And I was like, "What are the worst Stephen King movies I've watched?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, those movies suck." Bottom Actually, three, my, desperation. My, my Dreamcatcher dream review is my most popular review on Letterboxd. It's a good one. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good one. It's a it's a memory. Um, yeah. so RJ, I have been keeping <laughs> strong with my Janoir airy watching. Um, with that time off, originally I was planning on kind of rotating between like westerns and uh, noir movies, but I realized I've watched a lot of westerns and I've really neglected my noirs of late, late the last several years. So I've been uh, looking through lists, uh, checking it twice, and picking out what sounds uh, interesting, just like good plot synopsises, well regarded, and stuff like that. And for the most part, it's been paying off fairly well. Um, so let's hit upon a couple of the highlights because um, I've watched a lot. Uh, first, like one that I was like really bowled over by. Was one called The Sniper from 1952. Um, it's just a story about a like it's like he's like a sex maniac almost, but he gets he, but he's like been like he's like like a vet um, who like he's mental. He knows it. He wants to he wants to kill people. He wants to kill women. And uh, the system can't do anything about it. They can't medicate him. It doesn't really want to like bring him back into the fold. So he's got himself a sniper rifle. He's using that marine training to uh, pick women off completely anonymously. And it's like this, like uh, very much like there's a movie we'll be watching later uh, even this year, actually, Peeping Tom. We're just like sort of like mm. the sniper rifle, sort of the, the phallus. And it's just like he's shooting these women. And there's like pretty striking like photography and imagery of like him just like drawing the uh, bullseye on like the, the scope on these women's heads and just following them along. And it's like, Jesus, mm-hmm. like that's like crazy for 1952. Um, and then like the shots of these women just getting shot. I mean, it's a bloodless movie, but like, you know, they're, they're, they just go like their heads go flying back or the glass breaks when they get hit. And it's like, Whoa. And it's just like him. He's just like a maniac stalking the city, uh, picking off women. Um, and it's like kind of a character piece. There's like kind of the police procedural stuff about like the hunt for him, but there's a lot of character stuff, which like I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I'll always be right. a fan of that sort of stuff. Um, one of the other really good movies I watch is also kind of a character study of like a weirdo loner repressed sex deviant. Uh, that's my Are that's you my about that's yourself? my that's my bag, man. Uh, no, yeah. I'm like probably the furthest from that as possible, but I really love reading about this stuff. Um, because it's not me at all. That's my defense. You live vicariously through Yeah, others. through my movies about dudes sniping women. <laughs> that's that's me. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, people can rewind about 45 seconds to when Jarrett said phallic, but it was like phallic. Phallic. And you licked your, you licked your lips a little bit. It was I, creepy. I'm a little dry. I need a little, uh, need a little uh, water here after I finish sure. uh, talking about these movies. Um, mm-hmm. Check out another movie called The Narrow Margin that was pretty good also from 1952 uh, it is a kind of a revenge movie about a man who's been crippled uh, or like or rendered lame and uh, he's he wants revenge on a guy that he was in a POW camp with who was a rat who was kind of collaborating with the Nazis 
and uh, he's like kind of got his own business now. He thought he's like wash himself, clean himself of like what he's done. Uh, basically, boiled down to they were going to plan an escape, but he got cold feet and he didn't want the escape to happen. So he he told the not the Germans that was going to happen, but they didn't. They let it happen so they could just kill them all. So uh, you get that the the whole buildup of him kind of being on the run from this old this man that he betrayed. The reason why he's uh-huh. lame, and it's like really good, uh, good, good build. Because um, initially you don't know any of this, um, and you're like he's just like acting peculiar, kind of like comically uh, peculiar. But it's because right. it's a 1950s movie; everyone's a little bit slow to catch up, uh, so mm-hmm. it's got that charm. But uh, yeah, no, it's good character. Just, just a good little movie, a uh, good thriller. Um, really nicely shot, all that stuff. So it's like it's like mid era like noir stuff. So like the lighting's all nailed down at this point. Uh, lots of drawn uh, curtains and uh, uh, meetings in like I don't know like underground sewers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not too bad, not too bad at all. Can uh, I ask you a question? Yeah. In these underground sewer meetings, was there an orgy of any t- type? No, it's not it. Sorry. That was that was something I totally forgot <laughs> to mention. You know how creepy that shit is. Uh yeah, it's like that's the only thing people ever talk about with that book. It seems nowadays, I, the I sexual politics that. are questionable. I've heard. Yeah, I had no idea that was even in there. But uh, I, sorry, I'm just gonna interrupt you for a second, Mom, on that train. Yeah. So uh, there's only one girl. There's six guys, and they just all take a turn at her after they defeat Pennywise's kids. And the only reason I think it's actually in there, I think I figured it out. It's because when kids talk about sex, they describe it as it. So it's like the fear of doing it. It's like, oh my God, did they do it? So I think that was his way to sneak that in there. Uh. But uh, thank God it was in the last 50 pages because I think if he had that any earlier in the book, nobody would finish that fucking thing. Okay. Anyways, go back to your sewer movies. Uh, it's like one scene in a sewer. Uh, okay. It's mostly just like a cat and mouse and him like gotcha. trying to make trying to make deals. He's like thinking about taking some money from his uh, construction company and spending it mm-hmm. to like hire someone to take care of this situation. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, it's good. Uh, also, I checked out right. this. Uh, I guess you call it a neo noir. Um, I just watched it because I had heard it was an underrated film from the eighties <sighs> called uh, Cohen and Tate. That's from 1988 uh, from director Eric Red, uh, director of such classics as Bad Moon. Uh, and, the werewolf movie? Yeah. And writer oh, of Near Dark and stuff like that. Uh, hmm. Right, wrote The Hitcher. So he's a, he's, this is, I think, his first real movie that he directed. But yeah, it's like pretty solid. Um, I don't completely mm-hmm. love it because there's like some weirdness to it that doesn't quite make sense. But it's a story about uh, there's a kid who's witnessed some sort of like mob killing or something or whatever. Other. He's in uh, witness protection, uh, staying with right. his family, and they are all killed. Gunned down by Conan Tate, saved the child, uh, who they're bringing back to Houston, Texas, because Eric Red loves Texas. And they're going to bring him back so we can have a chat with the mob bosses for some reason. Um, the Conan Tate characters, they are played by uh, Roy Scheider and uh, Adam Baldwin. Oh, fucking right. Uh, you don't see Adam Baldwin very often. No, especially, yeah, 1988. So he's he's quite young, old, whatever his name is from Serenity in Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just like, he looks very Timothy Oliphant-ish uh, in this one. Yeah, I, I take back my fucking right. I thought you were talking about Billy Baldwin for oh, a second. Fuck yeah, like Adam, Bald- so Adam Baldwin. Yeah, I don't give a yeah. shit about him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's just an asshole, isn't he, on uh, yeah. the old Twitter? Yeah. So anyway, he's very Timothy Oliphant-y. 
uh, like like okay. from he. That's why I know that's exactly all I kept thinking. He's like in like in Go, like just like he. I kept looking yeah. at him like, who does he remind me of? And then it clicked all of a sudden. But yeah, so Conan and Tate, they hate each other. One's like an mm-hmm. old school gangster, like a Philip Baker Hall type, and um, Tate is like your. Uh, if it was made now, he'd just be like a fentanyl, like cokehead drug addict with a shotgun who just likes to kill things, like aim yeah. at driving over coyotes on the road and stuff. Because the movie just turns into a road movie for essentially an hour and a half. And it's just like returning this kid to Houston. The kid's trying to like play with them and get them all, get on their nerves. Um, there's escapes and recaptures and all this stuff. But the movie's really well directed. It's got a lot of movement. Uh, totally worth checking out if you kind of like 80s thrillers. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of like Don't Breathe um, and like 10 Cloverfield oh, Lane yeah. in a way. It plays the same to me. I don't. Th- I, I don't think it's. I think it's like it doesn't age super, super, super well. Like I think those movies won't age super well either. Where they're like, yeah. you sit down like it's a carnival ride and you enjoy it for like that hour and a half you're in it, and that's all you want yeah. is just to be like kind of brought along for the ride. If you mm-hmm. like, if you think about it in those terms, they're like just stylish, fun movies. Uh, but they're not like nice. they're not great pieces of cinema. But Conan Tate was pretty decent. Um, we followed that up with watching a film called Writing Wrongs, aka Above the Law. From 1986, this is a Hong Kong film that I had kind of just in passing heard about on some like best of like Hong Kong cinema action movies list when I was like looking up John Woo stuff. Uh, it's from uh, director Corey Yuen Kwai. Um, this movie like blew my mind because uh, it's not as good. I don't think as like either like the killer or hard boiled uh, or bullet in the head. But this movie like outdoes those movies and just like ridiculousness. Um, I don't know how I really want to go too much into depth of like the, some of the moments in this movie. Um, it's essentially, it's like daredevil, uh, except it's the, instead of a defense attorney, it's a, like, I don't know, martial artist prosecutor who has yeah. decided to become a vigilante and like kill these mob bosses who keep getting out of the system. They keep like, Oh, they kill witnesses. Uh, for instance, they hire one, uh, hitman who, guns down three people and then sets up an incendiary device on the side of their apartment and kills their five children inside. And this is like, whoa. Um, they gunned down and killed his, the prosecutor's like, I guess like mentor professor, like in like with like machine gunfire in the first like five minutes of this movie. And it's like Robocop uh-huh. style gunfire. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just like nonstop action. Um, it, the story is Was just it like, good? yeah, no, I, this movie's great. I okay. like, I like totally, okay. I would, uh, so strongly recommend people watch this movie. If you're like, if you like nice. John Woo action nerds, this movie's like, yeah, this isn't blood moon, RJ. This is like legit good, like, <laughs> okay. wick, like fun, like fast paced action stuff. It's got Cynthia Rock, Rock, uh, Rothrock, who's, um, you, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She's kind of like, nope. she's a Caucasian martial artist. Like she has a bunch of like, karate. She was like Ronda Rousey back in the eighties who like, um. and, but she made, she made like a hundred different like martial arts movies that like no one's really ever seen. There's like about four yeah. or five worth watching. Uh, she did this one in Hong Kong. Uh, and then there's another one called like Shanghai Express. Uh, that's Sammo Hung. But like, okay. she's like, she's good. Like she's legit. She can do most of her own stuff. There's like obvious mm-hmm. parts. Cause there's this thing in the movie where I was like watching her and like, and she's like, you know, she's like 
like really great shape, but she she's always dressed in these big baggy clothes. And I'm like, why is she wearing all these like oversized unflattering clothes? Even for like the eighties, which is like all about like oversized unflattering clothing. Uh, these were like really big, but I think what was happening, well, what was happening was there was bits where they'd have a stunt double doing it. Who's obviously a man. And like he'd wear, he'd wear <laughs> okay. the, he'd wear the clothing. Yeah. So it was a way of them thinking, ah, oh, we'll, we'll do this and people won't notice. But even like watching the DVD of it, it's like pretty damn obvious at moments where it's like, Oh yeah, nice. no, that, that wasn't, her but for the most part it's her doing her own stunts and they're really good uh yeah people die left and right this movie is dark like it's like it doesn't end on an upbeat note at all um you think that like you keep the every time you think oh i know where this is going it kind of like nope that that's a dead end because the bad guys just killed them too and it just keeps going until there's like there's no one left and you're like Mm. huh so it's like it keeps you i I was surprised the whole time um yeah it's it's like a, a fairly i think unknown uh hong kong movie i haven't heard a lot of people talk about other than obviously like on some people's lists it shows up but it's got like a really like kind of crappy cover on letterbox um the dragon dynasty dvd that um the miramax put out years ago it's like long out of print and goes for like 60 plus bucks uh you can't stream it anywhere you can blow your nose yeah. though but yeah sorry but, i know that's coming in through but i can't help it <laughs> that's okay uh so yeah right and wrongs very cool movie uh a strong recommend do you think i would like it yeah i think you'd enjoy Did, it I, there's how nothing... many how many abs are in there mm, i don't know if there's too many abs everyone's pretty clothed in this number uh that's okay do you see any diaper butts no the wrong country. Um, oh, fuck. Okay, well, it does sound pretty neat. Oh, and, and then... Uh, you started off, you said, we watch this. Uh, yeah. So can I slide you, Bloodfather, for your next uh, group action watching I'll, movies? I'll run it past the, the collective. Okay. <laughs> we'll see what... Okay, sorry, continue. I, I'm sure they won't care. They'll they'll check it out. Mel Mel's acceptable in that household. Nice. Um, one last movie I'll mention. Uh... I mean, I also watched like Mildred Pierce, which is going to be out in Criterion. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it like 10 years from now. That was a very good, solid movie. Uh, but the other little uh-huh. obscure movie I checked out was one called Murder by Contract from 1958. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Sounds another cool. movie I'd not really heard of before. It's from a guy named Irving Lerner who didn't direct too, too many movies. Um, starring guys like Vince Edwards, Philip Pine, Herschel Bernardi. You know all your favorites. But this oh, movie... All those um, guys. So the movie came yeah. out in 1958. So it kind of was like, it's before like the French new wave was a thing. Like it was like underway with like 400 blows mm-hmm. and breathless, but this movie plays like a French new wave movie, but it's American. Um, and like, it just opens up with like a guy shaving. And I kept thinking of like, uh, like it seems like independent, there's always this cliche of like independent filmmakers. First film is always like, they do a video of them doing a shaving. Um, yeah. And uh, so like the movie's just about a man who, he wants to buy a house, and so he's decided I'm going to become a, a gun for hire, and I'm going to be a hitman. And so he he and he just does that, and it's just very systemic, like him going through the steps of like he finds the the boss that he needs people killed. He goes mm-hmm. and gets that job, but like the movie's like fairly artful in this representation of like. Uh, representation at least of how people are killed. It's just like he pretends to be the barber after he's like. Um, bound and gagged all the people in the barbershop and then the hit comes in and he just sharpens up the razor and then it just cuts away to him writing down a dollar amount in his book stuff like that like looney tunes (laughs) like looney tunes yeah uh it sounds like old cartoons uh well that's like what do you (laughs) because there's a guy who goes and gets a job to kill people (laughs) like those looney tunes classics it's no it's like such elaborate (laughs) setups for stuff like wiley coyote 
was pulling shit like that all the time. Brother. <laughs> Brother. I, I think you need to brush up on your Looney Tunes. Yeah, actually, yeah, I shouldn't have dropped that with you. You are an expert in that. But yeah. anyways, it sounds cartoony is my point. Uh, I mean, it's it's film noir stuff. Like, it's like right. very plotty um, crime stuff. Like, I mean, it's no less crazy than like Jack Reacher, I guess. Um, it's like, uh, yeah, okay. Right? Like, it's just I got like, this sh- guy shows up at a thing and things happen. It's like, that's how, mm-hmm. that's all, uh, these, that's how genre stuff works. Like, it's, yeah. it's about plot. And then it's like all about like watching a lot of these movies where it's like, yeah, you can tell this one is where it fails because the directing's not great. The writing's not great. The characters don't make sense. But then there's movies that I'd argue like Murder by Contract. It works. Like, things click in place. It's got interesting things. It's got new visuals. It's different plays on that idea of like the hired killer. I watched another one called like, uh, This Gun for Hire that uh, was like also really good Alan Ladd like super charismatic as like this hired gun and he's like not even like supposed to be the main character but yeah I don't know uh, I just love watching these movies because I'm drawn to crime stuff and generally uh, black and white photography is the bomb and uh, yeah you never know like there's so many of these things like there is like anywhere from like there's a there's a film noir ex- encyclopedia I've looked at that has like 411 movies from like 1940 to 1959, um, and there's like other lists I've seen posted that have like 900 films on it. So it's like endless, and it's just like I don't know. It's fun to try to like suss through this stuff and find the really good ones. Because sometimes if you watch them, you go, yeah, that's pretty bland. I'll never remember anything about it. But then you come across some that are just like a little bit more uh, standout. Most standout. Yeah. Where does Flubber fall in the film noir? It doesn't. Come on. <laughs> uh, any news you want to bring to our attention, or shall we just get right on to building an igloo and killing some, kicking some huskies, killing some, huskies. some, killing some, uh, some walruses? I think we should get to it, but first, uh, I got a gripe, baby. Okay. I got some news for you. You want to hear some hot news? Amazon fucking Prime Video sucks. <laughs> That's not news, buddy. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll just uh, very quickly. Uh, Amazon Prime Video just became av- available in Canada. And on other podcasts and other forums, I hear people talk about like how they watched this movie and that movie on Amazon Prime Video. And I was always like, man, I got Prime. It's like, I wish I don't got that videos. And it just became available. And it fucking sucks because it's only on mobile devices like cell phones and computers, which yep. is total horseshit. Yep. Um, it has hardly anything there's like maybe a hundred movies on there maybe and like six tv shows the platform is horseshit it's like a beta like there's it has all of community the tv show on there but it has each season individually put on there it's like what is that just put it all together and then i saw when i was watching thinner i watched thinner on there and i i watched half of it one day and then the next day I go to watch it again and it says this uh, this video is unavailable un- unavailable in your area. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And then I tried watching a bunch of other movies that were on there and it was just like unavailable. And I was like, so why is it even a fucking option? Yeah. And then two days later it was available again. So anyways, I'm just that I'm just griping for a minute. And I'm just saying uh, out, all these streaming platforms outside of America fucking suck yeah. because it's like that film struck thing. Because that would be ideal we for haven't us. Even, we never even talked about that on this show. Of all yeah. things, it's like the Criterion yeah. streaming service, and well, it's because oh, it's only available in one country, and it's only ever going to be probably for a very long time, or at least when it comes to Canada, it's going to be like neutered and garbage. That's yeah. what's going to happen. It'll only be available on cell phones. 
if we're lucky. Yeah. So, anyways, it's garbage. So Stream- that's my yeah. Name streaming speed. stinks. Physical media yeah. rules. Yep. So, do you got anything, or are we just gonna get into that blubber? Nah. Let's just let's just get into that blubber. Bite bite Wait. in, boys. was an Eskimo Frozen wind began to blow Under my boots and around my toes Frost that bit the ground below A hundred degrees below zero And my mama cried And my mama cried Save your money, don't go to the show and we're back. We're talking about Nanook of the North from 1922, directed by Robert Flaherty. Uh, I thought I would just begin talking about this film by pretty well just stating the preface by the director himself that kicks off this uh, documentary of sorts. Nice. This film grew out of a long series of explorations in the North, which I carried out on behalf of Sir William Mackenzie from 1910 to 1916. Much of the exploration was done in journeys lasting months at a time with only two or three Eskimos as my companions. The experience gave me an insight into their lives and a deep regard for them. In 1913, I went north with a large outfit. We wintered on Baffin Island, and when I was not seriously engaged in exploratory work, a film was compiled of some Eskimos who lived with us. I had no motion picture experience, and naturally the results were indifferent. But as I was undertaking another expedition, I secured more negative with the idea of building up this first film. Again, between explorations, I continued with the picture work. After a lot of hardship, which involved the loss of a launch and the wrecking of our cruising boat, we secured a remarkable film. Finally, after wintering a year on Belcher Islands, the skipper, a moose factory half-breed, and myself got out to a civilization along with my notes, maps, and the films. I had just completed editing the film in Toronto when the negative caught fire, and I was minus all. The editing print, however, was not burned and was shown several times, just long enough to make me realize it was no good. But I did not see uh, that if I were to take a single character and make him typify the Eskimos, I did see that if I were to take a single character and make him typify the Eskimos, mm-hmm. as I had known them so long and well, the results would be well worth the while. I went north again, this time solely to make a film. I took with me not only cameras, but apparatus to print and project my results as they were being made, so my character and his family could understand and appreciate what I was doing. As soon as I showed them some of their first results, Nanook and his crowd were completely won over. At last, in 1920, I thought I had shot enough scenes to make the film and prepare to go home. Poor old Nanook hung around my cabin, talking over films as we uh, could make we still could make if I would only stay for another year. He never understood why I should have gone to all the fuss and bother of making the big adji of him. Uh, less than two years later, I received word that Nanook had ventured into the interior hoping for deer and had starved to death. But our big adji, B, 
become uh, became or become Nanook of the North had gone into most of the odd corners of the world, and more men than there are stones around the shore of Nanook's home have looked upon Nanook, the kindly, brave, simple Eskimo. Uh huh. So RJ. Yes. How does this movie stack up with Walkabout? Um, it's not as depressing as Walkabout. Uh, because the animals killed in this movie, it was because these people were fucking eating them. So, like, I'm not a total hypocrite. Like, I know people eat, like, I don't, I'm not a vegetarian. My meat comes from somewhere, right? Yeah. Uh, it was a little, it was pretty depressing, though, watching them fucking pull that walrus, uh, or, like, rope it up so it couldn't, like, get back out into the water. That was really sad. Mm-hmm. And then when it's so, when the walrus mate came to try to help it. Oh my god, man! That's like a fucking Disney short that would like make everyone like bawling before the fucking movie. Well, not the death, but I mean walrus mates and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, I didn't really like that stuff. Uh, I didn't like the walrus. I didn't like the seal stuff. Uh, even the stuff with the dogs was kind of like yeah. depressing because. Like, I get it, too. It's like, what do you... Like, in their point of view, it was like, they're wild dogs. Dogs fight each other. And it's like, yeah, I know, but... Fuck. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, no, it, I, I didn't really like that stuff. But, I mean, what else is new, right? Yeah. So, what else is- so, so, uh, what did you think of this documentary? Uh, this, a, this, this, uh, this docudrama docudrama uh i'll be straight with you dog i thought it was fine yeah i mean it's neat because it's almost 100 years old but uh other than that i don't know (laughs) i've seen other old documentaries and those were neat too Mm -hmm. um and like i think the other thing too for us is i don't know about you but uh, when I was in uh, grade school uh we learned about the Inuit people and we saw stuff like this not like documentaries, but my point, I guess, is it's not like new to me. We live in Canada. Mm-hmm. We are Eskimos, like in everyone else's <laughs> eyes. So. Blubber eaters. We are Blu- in- Inuit. <laughs> Inuit blubber eaters. Hey, at least there was some clarification here. Is like people think they eat the blubber, but oh. it's really just used like butter exactly. and uh, oil. So the, uh, no, the I th- more you know. The more you know, man. No, I thought it was fine. I mean, I don't think there's anything like groundbreaking about it other than the fact that it's really fucking old well i mean okay so i guess like the context of this is i mean it's kind of regarded as like kind of the first like commercially successful film of its kind where like up to this point like so there was like i mean the idea of like where documentary film begins is kind of like nebulous because no one actually had that term like i guess like the term documentary flarity actually came up with like four years after this was made Um, So up to this point, I mean, you had films like in the 1800s, like the late 1800s, where it's like, hey, let's just set this camera up in like film, like industrial workers leaving this factory. Like that, that was like, well, what is that? Well, it's like documenting uh, like real life, Uh, like documenting Uh flowers, documenting cityscapes, people walking around corners. I mean, that's sort of like the first things that people were really doing. Um, And then uh, you get like Georges Malise on the flip side, who started like making these like these little short films of like like magician acts and like deals with the devil um and those were kind of like the two separate strains so then you have something like this documentary nanook of the north um which kind of crosses those two things where it's like hey i'm going to present this 
completely hostile alien landscape that like is completely alien to like the vast majority of people who are going to watch it. And it's going to be like, a, I don't know, we're going to use this to like uh, sell tickets. Um, make money. The, make money. It's like it's. I mean, it was a commercial venture at the end of the day. I don't think it started out that way, um, mm-hmm. because like I mean, obviously he well he started off to go do this because he wanted to make money. So uh, Sir William Mackenzie that he me- mentions in the preface, he was a like railroad uh, like builder, like entrepreneur, yeah. guy, uh, and they were looking at these like this region as far as like, hey, go find some iron, go see if there's any natural resources that we can go exploit. And he gets sent up there as a surveyor. Hey, bring some, and the idea was like, hey, just go bring some cameras with you and go film it so we know what it looks like. Because film, like this new technology was still like relatively new. It was only like 20 years old at this point uh, yeah. when, when life was a lot slower. Um, and so it's, so he went up there, he filmed a bunch of stuff and he kind of went, yeah, I kind of want to go back and do this again. And he did do it like three times, obviously. Cause huh. um, so he went back three times or a total of three times. And the, the third time is what we get. Um, and um, so I was reading about him cause I was kind of curious about Robert Flaherty. Cause I imagine that people have varying opinions, like this idea that, cause he's often considered like the father of documentary filmmaking. And uh-huh. it's like what he's making here. I don't even know if you could qualify it as documentary. Like it's not purely documentary because, uh, as I was reading, obviously, uh, there's like one of the stories of with Nanook that, or one of the controversies always goes along with it is the stagedness of things. Um, for, yeah. in, for instance, uh, so Nanook was not this guy's name. Um, and that isn't yeah. his family. Those were actors. <laughs> they were like, people, yeah, those, those were all, uh, people from that community that he just said, Hey, they're like photogenic. They're going to be the family now. And we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to create like, we're like, cause obviously he's not like making this up. Like he's not making up yeah. Inuit people. He's not making up how they live, but he is taking liberties with like how things are playing out. Um, sure. so like, I mean, there's like the, obvi- there's like obvious scenes where it's like, Hey, all these people are coming out of the kayak <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it's like a Buster Keaton's like silent film gag. Like it's so, yeah, it's like a clown car. Like they keep yeah. pulling people yeah. out of there. And then the dog too. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, the cute dogs that you later learn are just like a commodity. Yeah. So I mean, there's like, like I mean, I didn't realize that. Oh, like they're all actors. Like they're they're not not actors, but they're like not what are presented as this like family unit that are like nomadic uh, hunter gatherers. Um, sure. So this is the thing I'll have to read because uh, so the I didn't know this until I read I read the essay that accompanied this uh, Criterion release uh, by a Dean Duncan, great name. Um, So this is a selection I'll read for you. Uh, Nevertheless, the film is full of faking and fudging in one form or another. Observers, starting with John Grierson, would come to accuse Flaherty of ignoring reality in favor of a romance that was, for all its documentary purpose value, irrelevant. The family at the Uh film's center was not at all. These were photogenic Inuit, cast and paid to play these roles. The character's authentic clothes were actually a nostalgic hybrid. The Inuit had started to integrate Western wear sometime previously. This integration was in fact quite general. Igloos were giving way to southern building materials. Many harpoons had been replaced by rifles. Many kayak paddles by motors. The seal had uh, the seal that appears to be engaging Nanook in a delightful tug of war is actually dead. Nanook is in fact being pulled around by friends at the other end of the rope, standing just off camera. Uh, and this one is 
Uh, during the famous <laughs> walrus hunt, the hunters desperately oh. asked the filmmaker to stop shooting the camera and start shooting the rifle. For his part, Flaherty pretended not to hear and kept filming until the prey was taken in the old way. A failed bear hunt, not appearing in the film but related in Flaherty's northern memoir, My Eskimo Friends, left its participants, Flaherty included, stranded and nearly starving for weeks. Um, <laughs> fuck, fuck that, man. That, that stuff makes it like so much worse for me because mm-hmm. when I was like, I didn't think it was state. Like there were some things I was like, okay, he was probably like, hey, do this and do that. But like the fact that it was like, hey, man, go kill that fucking walrus. Well, I mean, they would have, they, I mean, they would have probably. They had to do it anyways. Do it. Well, but I mean, it's, this is a strange situation, right? Because like, so I was reading, like he was staying at a, where is it? Um, it's like Port Harrison, which is like, they were like yeah. filming in like Northern Quebec. And like, I think mm-hmm. that's where they were based out of. There was like a fur trading uh, post there. And that's like kind of where he was based out of. Cause I mean, there's like ama- incredible things to consider with this film. This idea of like going up there with like the camera equipment that was available yeah. at that time, like massive cameras, like your own like film reels. And you it's not like you have a film crew doing all this stuff with you. You're like out there by yourself. And like, again, one of the most extreme like climates in the yeah. world. It's like working yeah, like yeah. a camera hit stuff. It's like, it's kind of amazing from that regard. Um, but yeah, there's like, I mean, as far as like a, like ethics of like documentary filmmaking, this like blows all those things. But of course, when he was making this, none of that existed. Um, yeah. And he, yeah. Yeah. And so his whole thing though, so him as a person, he kind of like falls into this like thing of like that mid, like, like turn of turn of the century, early 20th century, like mentality of like these guys, like a lot of painters were like this, like, um, they're like these like pantheists, spiritualists, like, uh, Wassily Kandinsky. Uh, there's like the group of seven artists, like Lauren Harris. Um, there's like this one painter friends, Mark, like there are all these guys that are really into mm-hmm. spiritualism and this idea of like, uh, finding like a spiritual core that wasn't like like Christian or anything like that per se, but going into nature and finding it. And one of the things that they associate with like this purity of the spirit that's like being bogged down in like the modernist world is like the it's primitive people. So right. there's this thing of like Robert Flaherty going into this area, finding these people that he obviously like really like was like, uh, like, I don't know. He was really interested in, he loved these guys and he wanted to like, film their life before it disappeared. I like that's one of the arguments that like yeah. why he did this. I it's get like, it. Right. So there's like this romanticism to it. Um, yeah. And I get it. so, I mean, he's staging these things like to a degree where it's like, Hey, yeah, you should use harpoons and classic means like, cause no one will know like that you don't actually use these things necessarily anymore because why would you use this when it's way more efficient to use a gun from a, a gun. distance and it's way more effective. Um, and yeah. like, Hey, use the rifle. We're killing this walrus. Like this is like horrible. Get it out of the way. He's like, what? I can't hear you. You got to kill it the old fashioned way. And it's like, yeah. for, he's creating it for effect. And it's like, ah, buddy, that's just horrendous. Well, <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I was like, the saddest part about that was like how long it was. You're just like, come on. Yeah. Well, even just like, so... even like, yeah, uh, yeah, that, there's that. And then, like, as you said, like, yeah, the seal thing. It's like, now, now that I know it's like, well, the seal is dead. And then, like, they did this whole staging of it. It's like, okay. Uh, there's that, but then there's like the dogs, which is like, it's a, that's a weird one too. Cause it's like yeah. nowadays, like when you see, like, if you see a video of like a guy kicking an animal, it's like a PETA video that's like been secretly recorded. It's not like, yeah. this is like being shown at like the multiplex of the period of time. Like, uh, yeah. people were lining up to go well, see these sites that they could never imagine. Cause like, mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, going into the film, I guess, like, I mean, it presents like this magical ice kingdom of horribleness. Like it's, it's yeah. like, it's supposed to like make you feel pretty good about where you live, I guess. Um, yeah, and yeah, Tot- totes, totes, 
Totes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another thing, again, this uh, Robert Flaherty, he just seems like a quite the guy. So uh, here's another bit. This is from Wikipedia. Uh, Melanie McGrath, a writer, writes that while living in northern Quebec for the year of filming Nanook, Flaherty had an affair with his lead actress, the young Inuk woman <laughs> who played Nanook's wife. A few months sure. after he left, she gave birth to his son, uh, uh, Josephie. Um, whom he never acknowledged. Uh, Josephie was one of the Inuit who were relocated in the 1950s to the very difficult living conditions in Resolute, uh, which is uh, code for residential schools. Oh. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, according to McGrath, Flaherty knew of his son's difficulties, but took no action. Uh, corroboration of yeah. McGrath's account is not readily available, and Flaherty himself never discussed the matter. So it's like, it's hearsay. I guess to even throw yeah. it out there, but I, it's like not in remotely surprising that this would happen. Like one of those things that like I've heard is that like, like Inuit culture is like far more like it's fairly permissive. Um, I'm not sure if it'd be permissive to the point that they'd be like, Hey, white guy, come on here. But I remember like from like when I was reading about the Franklin expedition, it was very much like that. They did not have like, yep. I mean, and of course like this is like a common thing amongst like uh, these like colonial stories, like from the Victorian era. It's like these guys traveling to Tahiti or uh, whatever. They're like, they're like, Hey, these women just will have sex with me. And it's like, this is wonderful. <laughs> of course they will. Uh, of course they will. Well, they're just like, yeah. 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 It's like, well, you're interesting. You're unique in this landscape of like, of, desert snow hell and yeah. um so yeah <sighs> i don't know so that's like one of those things from like that wouldn't surprise yeah. me in the least um and it's like yeah there's that whole aspect of um living in canada we have a horrible history of uh of white people and the first nations people and so this oh, is just, yeah and this is just like kind of a part of that i mean so um Flaherty was American, but it seemed like he spent a lot of time in Canada. He was quite the outdoorsman. Uh, he lived yeah. like he apparently like liked being outside a lot. He had been his, he raised his family like in the wilderness. Uh-huh. So I mean, he was like an adventurer with a camera. Um, huh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you got any notes you'd like to share about this film? I've been talking a lot. I don't know, man. I I like I made notes of like things. Like, uh, that kid's sick, and then they just give him a big spoon of castor oil. That's pretty fucked up. <laughs> it's like, it's like I can't even imagine just drinking, like, a cup of castor oil. I, mean, I know that was, like, a real thing, but it's, like, gross. Yeah, that's a form of torture uh, depicted in yeah. Amarcord. <laughs> exactly. No. Um, I thought the intro in the written stuff, when he calls that one guy a moose factory half-breed, I thought yeah. that was really funny. <laughs> Um, it's of its era. <laughs> it's of its era. Uh, all the babies and like the backpacks and the hoodies. That's super cute. Oh yeah, the sack uh, of the sack of huskies. Sack of huskies. Yeah, that's uh, all very super cute. Um, the human toboggans was super cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he made the little snow bears for the kid to shoot little practice arrows at, that was super cute. Oh, that's the, that was actually one of my like. I thought that was kind of wicked. This idea of like living in this like again like. The, the Arctic, um, like you don't yeah. have toys, but like you, you can make toys. You can make whatever make, you want make out, it out, of, out of the snow. snow. Yeah, you yeah. make it out of the snow and ice, and you just bit, here, here's a here's a polar bear. Make it. Yeah, and the idea that it was like the kid was getting cold because of course, and then the dad was like, ha, 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 ha. he's like, rub my cheeks, son. That's right. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then making the igloo i thought was really neat to see and mm-hmm. like the ice window like that's yeah. some pretty neat shit man ingenious and 
ingenious what what a twist <laughs> and then uh the i thought the way that this guy fishes is just fucking insane and that once he gets the fish he uh kills it just by biting into its fucking brain mm-hmm. i i haven't seen that very often so that was new <laughs> for me well maybe we'll be watching it when we get to uh fishing with john oh god <laughs> i have no idea okay well, yeah, no, that's it. Like that stuff I thought was like cool. Like it's I don't know, it's it's neat or it's like interesting to see any like old culture or like lifestyle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, it's not like this like I don't think it's like a something I don't think anyone goes back to watch like, oh, I got to go back and check out Nanuko the North. I guess yeah. if, if you want to watch like uh I mean, I think it's like a fairly pretty good looking documentary like i mean it's got like a great vibe to it because it doesn't look like anything else is going to look like you could watch like a silent film depicting the arctic but it would be all st- like staged and like it would like literally be staged and like it'd be sets and people would be like, walking around and they wouldn't actually seem like it was that cold but like watching yeah. this you're like oh wow this is like a, a place that i've never been a place i'll probably never be um even though i could walk out my front door and it's very similar currently um right. But yeah, so I mean, there's like that kind of escapism. And I mean, that's sort of like what I think this thing was on offer to do in general. Like that's what most people would have gotten out of at that time. Um, Like we we talked about the Franklin expedition, it seems like a few times uh, on this show. But like that was like like a few years ago. I mean, I was really interested in it. Uh, There's this really great book called The Arctic Grail by uh, Canada's own uh, Robert uh, Berton. And uh, it's a great history of it. Uh, Just explaining the horrors of like Arctic exploration. Uh, It gets Mm -hmm. you into the, the mindset of like, like looking for this Northwest Passage thing, which was like a complete bunk idea from the get-go. Uh, it yeah. would never work. And now it exists because of uh, things like uh, climate change. <laughs> and uh, so now, uh-huh. it's, now it's quite possible, but it would still be ineffective uh, to ship things that way. The, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I always like thought about like Arctic exploration. It's like kind of like going to the moon. Um, like it's like huh. you you have to be like essentially like so like shielded up like your whatever garments you're wearing that's like your spacesuit you're in a little spaceship going into the middle of nowhere and there's no food um and and then of course yeah you're out there stranded uh but then there's these weird little people that live there these like inuit folk who like make a live who are like healthy they're like well fed and it's like well what are they doing to do that well uh initially uh explorers had no idea and they're like well that's disgusting i'm not gonna eat raw animal why would you eat this and it's like well that's the that's the vitamin c and that's what that's why you don't get scurvy in a land without trees or vegetables other than like Uh moss that you use for fuel um so i mean yeah i mean when you watch this stuff like there's like that weird patronizing colonial tone that like tip it's like typical of the era um And so, like, I'm not sure, like, how that plays in our 20th, 21st century eyes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, I don't know. It's, like, interesting. I mean, I watched this, like, several yeah. years ago, kind of, like, when I was, like, just checking out things in the Criterion Collection and, like, interested in, like, silent film. And, oh, it's, like, the first documentary, kind of, in my what I thought of at the time was, like, the first documentary. And so I checked it out, and I was, like, oh, neat. And then, I mean, I don't really need yeah. to, I don't need to watch it again. Watched it for the show. Was kind of like, oh my God. I don't remember all yeah. the animals being fucking beaten and kicked and killed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, RJ has to watch this now. And I'm, yeah. now I'm going to have to hear about it from RJ. <laughs> no, I, I'll tone it down. People know my opinion. Yeah. People know my opinion. Yeah. 
we, we so, know where you stand. <laughs> yeah, you know where I stand, but yeah, I well, don't know. And like I said, like, it's like very different here too, because it's like, well, these like they have to do this. Like there is yeah, no, no I, I yeah. get, I right. get that too. But yeah. then f- finding out that a lot of or some of it was staged, it's like, well, yeah, it, well, that it, really fucking sucks. Yeah, it adds that layer. But it's again, this is like a very similar thing though, because um, like with walkabout, how he made the comment, like no one really seems to talk about that animal cruelty and because yeah. this so this is again another roger ebert great movies film um he watching well uh he's he calls nanook one of the most vital and unforgettable human beings ever recorded on film fuck off <laughs> well good, good thing he's dead right yeah because i would i would have qualms with him i'd, t- I'd call him up right now i'd say listen here egbert i got a problem with what you're throwing down baby well, yeah, I mean, like, I don't even really, like, did Nanook have that much of a character? He just seems like, uh, he's, he's, no. a, he's a guy. He doesn't talk. He doesn't, like, you don't get to hear him, like, say anything. He just smiles. Oh, we get to see him. I mean, again, the stageness of him. What's a gramophone? What's this record? Yeah. I better try eating it. <laughs> uh, the silly es- The silly Eskimo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I know. Oh, oh, the other one that like is so missable too is like, oh, where's that Arctic fox going? That scene where like he like goes into the ground, he grabs that Arctic fox thing like out uh-huh. of it, and he just like t- they tie it up onto the toboggan, and it's like hissing, and I'm like, uh, I was like really like, oh shit, is this going to turn all cannibal holocaust? But it's like no, they're just taking him away, and I'm like, w- yeah. w- where's he going? Is he the new pet? Like I don't understand. Like I know what's going to happen. I know what uh-huh. those those pelts go for at the old trading post that they bring in for candy. <laughs> hmm. Not rifles, obviously. Why would you need rifles? No, they want what was it like uh highly colorful candy or like decorative yeah. candy yes. or some yeah, shit yeah, like yeah, that. No, That's no. how they described it. Yeah. Um what did you think of the uh the uplifting score, the the silent audio accompaniment? Oh, it was revolutionary. It's so weird um watching silent films with like those. Like I, I kind of yeah. come to expect them now. Um, and uh-huh. they always get like some like alleged like expert to do the like composition or whatever and do it. Right. But it's always like fine. Like it's just like kind of there. But now there's like been a shift in like kind of in the last 20 years to like have more like moody, like synthy sounds, uh-huh. um, which is like also like, well, it maybe plays a little bit better, but sometimes they don't really put a lot of money into like recording the stuff. So they just do, do it all in a computer rather than like having like a real like orchestra where you actually get like a real sound to it. So it always has like that fake digital sound over top of silent films just the way the director intended yeah just how like it was in the arctic just like it that was ca- in the arctic that music was playing all the time mm-hmm. all the time baby all the time yeah there's one documentary i guess like on uh flaherty that uh i did not know about until like like a half hour before we started recording called a boatload of wild irishmen um, which apparently is a reference to one of his own quotes about like him being accused of like drowning or trying to drown a boatload of wild Irishmen. Cause so Flaherty, uh. after he made this, um, he kind of jumped around. He like, where did he go? He went to Samoa. He made a documentary there, uh, called Moana. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. There's the the South Seas. Uh, he went to make some stuff there. Islands of Ireland and stuff like that. But, like, they all kind of failed. Like, he never really got super successful again because it seemed like he's one of those guys who really wanted to become immersed in, like, these cultures and, like, hang out for a while and just film things. Um, right. But, like, this is, like, a commercial business, baby, making movies. So you got to, like, be quick. Got to make your make, make your stuff and move get out of there. And so he, like, kind of would do stuff and they, like, get taken away from him and get re-edited and so i mean he mm-hmm. never like really like became anything too big he worked with uh uh murnau uh on a i think it's taboo who uh, uh fw murnau director of nosferatu and um stuff like that, that all right that fella okay. um you've never heard of fw murnau no nah, i'll take your word for it though oh my god uh, anyway <laughs> so yeah uh flarity kind of just did like kept making documentary stuff i think he got better at like uh, everything, obviously. I, I think yeah. before he made Nanuka the North, he apparently someone I read somewhere I read like he went to three weeks of like cinematography school in Rochester. But I'm like, there was a cinematography school. <laughs> like to me, I'm like, was, yeah, is this some guy in his like garage with a camera that he got from France? And he's like, yeah, I'll show you how to use this. But I, I probably, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, I don't know, man. But you know what I know. It's time to talk what? about who hates Nanuga the North. Probably a few people. Ah, uh, yeah. There's some. Or diff- there's some different. If there's takes. anyone who's watched it, even. Like who hate who people who watch it have to hate it. I don't know. No, I just mean oh. like it, I I can't imagine there's a terribly a, a big amount of uh, people who've even seen this fucking movie. So I I think because it's in the Criterion Collection because it has like historical uh, stature, I think it does get watched. But right. uh, Ingen gave this one star. Uh, and wrote uh, two sections. One's called likes and one's called dislikes. Likes reads, see below. Dislikes. There was not much to like about this film. The cinematography was poor. Its subjects were treated in a patronizing manner. Some of the action was obviously staged. Dogs were kicked. Oh, those sound that, those sound delicious, my friend. I'm sorry. I'm trying. Animals were slaughtered. It quickly became boring after the novelty wore off. And then it just sort of ended. That is true. It just, just yeah, sort that of is end. True. Yes, it just kind of, oh, did they make it? They don't even like show them like emerging from the igloo in the warmth again. No, they, well, they, it just ends. They bury the lead in the start where it's just like, well, one day he just walked off and then died. He, he, but he they ne- never show it. Well, no, because they left already by that point. Yeah. They, they could have restaged that, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Poor man. Yeah. I don't know why this guy's on about cinematography. I mean, I think it looks great. Like considering what it is, it's yeah, like, it's a 1922 like documentary. Well, that's what, I mean. what do you fucking expect, man? Like Terrence Malick, like uh, Roger Deakins coming in, like with beautiful stuff. Like I thought it looked good too. I don't know. Yeah, like yeah, it's really like I mean, that's like one of the most memorable things about it. It's like yeah, that yeah. like that's what the Arctic looks like, and I mean yeah, yeah, it's like it it's fine. <laughs> what a weird complaint. Yeah. Um, one star from Ethne. Uh, even if you know nothing about Inuit culture and customs, this documentary is easily uh-huh. outed as as complete bullshit based simply on its own internal inconsistencies, and it's horribly shot. What? Why? <laughs> do do people equate like old f- film uh, as horribly like shot? Like that's dumb. It's like when people say things are badly edited. It's like yeah, it's sometimes like, like oh, what do you what do you mean? Like I've seen bad editing. I've seen Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like where did you go to film or like film editing school? Yeah, film. Tell buff. me. Yeah. Tell me. 
and then Lame. here we've got Michael Samberdyke, two stars. I had always heard of Nanook of the North, and now I have finally seen it. <laughs> yep. Oh, finally. There were compelling moments in the film, most notably the making of an igloo, and the way the sled dogs got excited when a seal was slaughtered. Just, well, that was like one dog growling angrily. Yeah, uh, and I'm pretty sure with the stage stuff, he probably like yelled at the dog. Mm-hmm. Or like was like, hey, you want some meat? Huh? I'm going yeah. to kick you, dog, or whip you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was the whiff of blood in the air. Mm-hmm. However, there was no personality to this film. I developed no sense of who uh, any of the Eskimos were beyond dad, mom, kids. I wasn't sure of why they were traveling. The tra- soundtrack made for compelling listening, but if it hadn't been so good, my interest in the film would have really diminished further. All right. Yeah. I don't All know. Right. I mean, it's fine. Like, I mean, it it's in, I mean, it's engaging enough. Uh like it's paced well. I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what else do you really want or expect for this. It's like it's like a historical object. Ultimately, yeah. um, it's not like easy viewing or anything like that. Um, no. I mean, it would kind of. It's kind of like the uh, the Godfather, though, of like kind of like mondo exploitation documentaries that the Italians would later like get into in like the '60s and '70s and Mondo Connie and stuff like that. Because those movies are packed full of animal violence and like animals oh, being yeah. killed and monkey brains and shit like that. Um, it's a it's a great 20th century pastime the killing of animals to people just going ooh I can't believe ooh. that because we can't show real people getting killed we can only show animals yes yeah. as they eat their hot dog in the theater yeah having their pop corn eating their hot dog yeah, yeah. great <sighs> any last thoughts um no being cold sucks yep Imagine being cold all the time and blowing your nose all the time. All the time. Poor sick yeah. RJ. This is truly the darkest timeline. <laughs> One day we'll figure out a mute button. But hey, yeah. we're going to hang up the mucklucks over the break and warm our naked bodies against one another for heat. Mucklucks. you beat during the break a few but it's a it's a totally different thing I think uh sexier oh, yeah. uh you can email us at criterion <laughs> at gmail.com uh, uh-huh. we've, we've got a face- you might not want to now we've got a facebook page we're on instagram uh it's taken uh-huh. off like wildfire uh we're on letterbox too i'm jared duncan he's barn loaf uh, we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, rate, subscribe, listen, all that stuff. Tell your friends that like Criterions. We all know they're out there. 
But next week, RJ, uh-huh. we've got a heavy hitter coming our way. Oh, shit. A movie I have not seen, but I've been wanting to see for a very long time. And that the time is now upon me. Uh, we're headed to Russia for the very first time in our Criterion Creep and hitting spine number 34, Andre Tarkovsky's Andre Rublev from 1966. A little bit of that USSR action. It's topical now. Yeah, more so than ever. And hey, for the, and for this momentous occasion, we're going to uh-huh. hopefully have our very first guest creep on the show to do some heavy lifting on this 205-minute mammoth of a movie. I didn't sign off on that. My contract explicitly states <laughs> that I am the star forever as oh, I blow my nose. and Yeah, you gross, gross man. Yeah, well... All right, I'll go. I guess I'll, I'll watch this movie. Yeah, this thing. You will. I will. <laughs> our, our guests will. I watch it an hour before we podcast. Oh my God. Good luck. It's only three yeah. hours, three and a half. It's not bad. Yeah, it's I make my own time. You can squeeze it in there. Uh huh. Well, good night, folks. Stay warm wherever you are. Um, blubber up. Blubber up. What did you say? Tuck to yuck, muck, muck luck. Mucklucks. Mucklucks? Mucklucks. Mucklucks. Don't eat the yellow snow. Hey.